Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 35. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are so happy to have Pat Gessner back on with us again. You guys know Pat as the voice of our great movie ride operator. He was also on when we did our review of The Black Cauldron. Pat, how are you doing? And welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back as long as we're not talking about that movie again. You mean you don't want to talk about... Gurgi's Munchies and Crunchies again? I could think of like five things I'd rather talk about more, and one of them is my medical history. So no. <laughs> well, thanks for coming. We're going to try and throw you a softball today. I, I'm not going to lie. when you, you guys had to throw a pretty heavy lure for me to come back after Black Cauldron, but Avengers will do that. Yes. And uh, tacos. The promise of adventures in tacos. Yes. It is, in fact, a Taco Tuesday, after all. <laughs> um, well, for those of you who uh, are just catching up with us, we are doing a big lead into Avengers Endgame. Last week, we talked about the first Avengers film, and this week, we're going to talk about Age of Ultron. But before we do that, Pat, we're going to quickly give you a couple of questions um, a, a quick round here right. uh, so that people can get familiarized with you and your fandom of the MCU because you are a Marvel fan. You're a comic book fan. I'm a, I'm a Marvel fan. I'm a comic book fan. I'm not obsessive and I never really collected the comics, but I don't think there's been like a Marvel movie in the theaters that I've seen that I've hated and I like the characters. So, yeah. Okay. So f- let's see. First ones that come to the top of your head. Your top Marvel film right now as it stands? Uh, the the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? Yeah, I really think that it's like, as a standalone movie, because the rest of the movies you do need to kind of see the whole series as a whole to get, Guardians of the Galaxy stands alone as a great movie with just a really funny script, amazing characters, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. I think we saw that one with you, actually. We did. Right. Yeah. We definitely did because I didn't love it on the first go around and you guys gave me so much garbage for it. <laughs> and now that I'm reminded of it, I will continue to do so. All right. I, I, I've i seen the light. I get it. Now. But <laughs> the first time I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, I kind of thought, here we go again. We're chasing another glowing orb. What do you have against glowing orbs? Glowing orb movies are really fun. Well, I thought it was derivative, not knowing the greater context of Thanos and how all these stones were going to come into play. All right, I'll take a million glowing orb movies as opposed to a million more beam shooting into the sky movies. <laughs> Your favorite. My favorite. Yep. Uh, favorite character in the MCU? Uh, right now, uh, Tom Holland, Spider-Man. Good call on that one. I love that guy. He's not expecting that. Yeah, yeah. no, he's just... At the first time I saw him, like I was immediately like, okay, this gets everything right about Spider-Man. Oh, you mean... Unlike the Andrew Garfield films, I, I wanted to like those movies so much. They teased me so much by going like, "We got Rhino in this one. We've got, we've got uh, we, we've got uh, Electro in this one," and I was just like, "Cool. Is it going to live up to it?" No, no. I just couldn't buy him as Spider Man. I thought he was too mean. I think he was a very good Spider Man. I think he was a, a terrible Peter Parker. I don't buy him as a dweeb. <laughs> Not at all. Tobey Maguire was a better Peter Parker until he started crying. Until he started disco dancing. Yes. <laughs> it's, it makes me sad that we live in a universe where that film exists. Not just that it exists, but like I know like having talked to people, there, there are people who like defend it as a movie. 
You don't need those people in your life. I really don't. I mean, the Sandman stuff was cool, but I don't need literally anything else about it. Right. No. Um, did you have any other questions for Pat? What's your favorite uh, trilogy so far? Uh, just because of the last movie, Thor Ragnarok. Yes. Yeah, that is a... That makes up for every boring Thor experience beforehand. <laughs> and just the fact that it led to that movie, it's the best trilogy by default. It's a complete departure At, for from good the reason. other two. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard to imagine that that was the sequel to The Dark World. It's, it's like I see that as like their version of like any Marvel movie compared to DC, where it's like they looked at everything beforehand and they were like, oh, wait a minute. Comic book movies are supposed to be fun. Let's have fun. You know, for the longest time, this was always my big gripe, was after The Dark Knight, which to me is, it's just my personal opinion, is the greatest superhero movie ever made. I would uh, jump in on that bandwagon. I love it. Yeah. I will always love it. That film with that cast, that director, and that story, just Batman in general, works as being dark and being serious. Mm -hmm. But because it was Why successful, so everybody tried to piggyback off of it when it was not appropriate to do so. Yeah. And, you know, here we are now. And the MCU is doing so well, and DC just doesn't really seem to know what they want to do. I think they completely abandoned their plans for the DC Extended Universe. I think they're just going to do standalone movies now. I think you have to. Well, and they here's can't the thing. keep it, an actor to save their life. It's not even just keeping the actors, but if you're going to do movies, why not just keep them standalone? If you're going to make movies like Wonder Woman and Aquaman and uh, Shazam, I, I heard was amazing. I didn't watch it yet. We haven't seen it, but we loved Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Yeah. Though. Those were a lot of fun. Well, I think that's that's part of it too is that we've invested so much stock into marvel because they've been building this for years and years and years i think dc tried to catch that lightning in a bottle by giving us the justice league first and then breaking out all the individual films and it's just not working it's not yeah why 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 take a formula that worked and not try to replicate it also if you're going to have the justice league and not have the wonder twins I don't know what you're doing. There's no Green Lantern. There's no Wonder Twins. It's just, there's a lot of things missing from that. A ton. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll, we're, we're not ever going to really talk about that unless, unless Disney buys DC, because right now it's basically the only thing they haven't bought. Um, if they ever buy it, we'll talk about it. But until then, that, that exists in another world for us. For the record, uh, if anybody's listening, I don't actually give a crap about the Wonder Twins. <laughs> <laughs> Or their dog, whatever the dog's name was. But I did miss the Green Lantern. Anyway, yeah. I digress. All right, so uh, for those of you who listened last week, and for those of you who are regular listeners of the show, you know we kind of have a, our format that we like to follow where we talk about the plot and then we dissect characters and et cetera and so forth. Seeing as these films can be so convoluted, and I mean that not as a negative, but they can be convoluted in all the right ways, and they are so in-depth these are better suited for those linear reviews. So that's how we're going to handle these next couple of Marvel films, up to and including this one. The yeah, Avengers, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, The Avengers Age of Ultron. It opens with the Avengers attacking a Hydra base in search of Loki's scepter. Tony Stark's Iron Legion is sent into a city to protect the civilians, and as the Avengers are closing in, the quote-unquote twins 
are unleashed to protect Hydra, the twins being Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Um, We find out that they're both orphans and they've been taken in by Hydra and they've been doing experiments on them, basically turning them into supervillains that are going to protect Hydra. They're basically turning them into what we know Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were always meant to be. Right. And they jump through so many hoops not to call them mutants. Yeah. They they called them, like, the ones that I had written down where they called them enhanced, uh, the twins, the miracles they called them in the cutscene they were in in uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Like, they just, because Fox has that license with X-Men where they're not allowed to say mutants in the Marvel movies. Well, that all changed a few weeks ago. (laughs) But that was, I mean, this movie being from 2015, well before that purchase was made. Yeah, they call them the experiments. Yeah. They, they do find every way around calling them the mutants. Um, but I like, right away, you kind of get that humor that you got in the original Avengers movie. Oh, yeah. The watch your language thing. Which is a great running bit. They don't beat it to death. You hear it three, maybe four times, and it's just as funny every single time you hear it. Well, that whole opening sequence is so brilliant because that first battle is done in one long take, which I will nerd out over every single time in any film that does it. Um, And it was just so cool and it was so flawless how it kind of wove from Avenger to Avenger to show their individual battles within the the greater big battle that was going on. and I love that now they're kind of all playing to each other's strengths. Where in the first Avengers, they're still trying to figure each other out as they're fighting. And now they're able to throw to each other because they know that somebody's going to be there to catch it. They know how to play into each other. Right. That, that opening scene has like one of my favorite callbacks, which is where like in the first Avengers movie, when Thor and Captain America are in the woods and Thor hits the yes. hammer and it just explodes everything around them. In this, they've turned it into an attack that takes out like... 15 people and a tank. It levels them. It's so cool. No, that's the perfect example of of what I'm trying to say is that they know now how to harness everything. The fight scenes in this movie are a lot more like together as opposed to disjointed. Avengers had like maybe like two scenes where everybody's fighting together and they were awesome. But this one has everybody kind of working as one common collective. And it's really fun to watch. Make no mistake about it. This movie, from the moment it starts to the moment it ends, is totally action-packed. If you want a good comic book popcorn movie, this is that film. Yeah. And um, the other thing that they do out of the gate, you talk about how um, they use that, that attack that was sort of an accident in the first movie, and now they've figured out a way to weaponize it for all intents and purposes. Yep. What this movie does really well is that it builds relationships. Yep. It, and, you know, the, the groundwork that was laid in the first Avengers film, you really see them build on that here, especially with, um, with Black Widow and Hulk. Yep. You start to see that Bruce Banner is starting to control the Hulk a little bit more. It's still sort of raw, and he's still a little timid in unleashing him, but he has a little bit more control over him. And it seems like it's Black Widow that's able to really reel him in. But you also go on to see as the movie plays out, their personal relationships start to build. Yeah. I kind of disagree a little bit because I feel like he has less control because we see Bruce getting more and more afraid of releasing the Hulk amongst civilians. Because in the first one, he was kind of waiting for the, through the whole film to transform and then at the end 
he realizes he needs to to help save the city. In this one, I feel like he's very reluctant to become the other guy, as they call him. I think he was always reluctant to become the other guy, like he says, because uh, the thing is, everywhere he's in, he has to take into account what happens if I turn into the Hulk right now. And any situation in this movie where he is surrounded by people, surrounded by people he cares about, if it's just a bunch of civilians, he's, of course, more uh, afraid of turning into the Hulk. I think the whole reason why, and this comes up later, like why he's afraid to do it is because he's always around civilians and he's always around people and he can't control himself. Which is why when they picked him up, he was trying to operate more remotely. Right. Um so while all that's going on, um, the uh, the twins come in and uh, Tony has now worked his way into Hydra's base. And as Jarvis is hacking into Hydra's computer system, Tony finds a secret door leading him to the scepter as well as other weapons. Some that you'd seen from the last film, some that Hydra was working to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, while he's in there, Scarlet Witch secretly manipulates his mind, leading him to see a vision of the entire Avengers team dead. But he snaps out of it, retrieves the scepter, and they head back to their own aircraft. And once they get there, um, or once they get to their own base, I should say, um, Tony and Bruce start doing research on the scepter and they find that the neurons of the scepter are firing off as if it were thinking independent thoughts. They believe that they can make advancements in artificial intelligence and bring Ultron to life and use it to defend the world. Yeah. This is the first time we hear the phrase Ultron. Yeah. And, you know, they basically introduce it as something that the two of them were working on independently. The rest of the team doesn't know about it. This is another relationship that this film builds on. Picking up where the last film left off, because as you may remember, when they all get together initially, the joke was made of, am I the only one that did the reading? And then when Bruce starts to talk on Tony's level, he goes, oh, finally somebody that speaks English, because they're both so brilliant that initially they can only really understand each other. And I like that they pick up on that and show that they've been working on something else independently and continuing to build the bond that they had in the first film. Yeah. I like how their relationship is evolving, but I don't like how it causes distrust amongst the other Avengers as far as thinking that Tony is not going to do the right thing. And especially there is the throwaway line, too, when he's like, do you not remember when I brought the nuke up into space? Yeah. Because he was the one who was willing to lay down his life for the rest of them and to save the world. That being said, like, I don't think that he... Uh, it was necessarily in any position where the other Avengers thought that maybe he wasn't going to be doing the right thing. I think they were in a position where they think maybe he might be taking stuff way too personally because Tony's PTSD is a constant in these movies. That's a good uh, point. From the first time that he went up into space, he has panic attacks from it in Iron Man 3. He disables all of his Iron Man suits for like, I don't know, a week at the end of that movie. Uh, and he's constantly talking about it in this movie. He's like, remember when I went up to space? And everyone's like, oh, yes, remember this story again. Because he keeps talking about it because it's it's hammering away at him. Like, he's having, like, panic attacks, and he's constantly thinking about that. And that's why the Scarlet Witch vision messes with him so much. It's because he never wants to see that happen again, and that's exactly what uh, Scarlet Witch's vision was, was the Chitari coming back and taking over Earth, finally. And... The whole idea behind this is that he makes Ultron, I think, as a way of just being like, this can never happen again. 
we have to make this work. And that's why I think the vision really plays into that. What's interesting about the vision, too, is that when all of the other Avengers sort of see into their future, mm-hmm. um, they're all concerned with what's going to happen to the world, what's going to happen to the world. And I think there's a throwaway line that Tony says later is, I saw all of my friends die. Yeah. And he's the only one to really go there. Yeah. Right. And I think Tony also wants... He, he doesn't want to be in the field anymore. I mean, he makes that very clear throughout this movie, and I think a lot of that plays into that PTSD. He's got the Iron Legion. Why? So that they have extra backup so that they can throw the Iron Legion into scenarios right. where it's very dangerous. They don't want to have to go in. He wants Ultron to save the world because he doesn't want to be in the field anymore. In fact, there is a throwaway line later in the film where he li- literally says, so we can get out of the field. Right. Like, he's doing everything he can to not have to be Iron Man anymore and not for a selfish reason. It's not that he's tired of it. It's that he's clearly been shaken up and he just can't, he, he, he can't lose that stress. It's constantly, it just, it's a shadow over him all of the time. Yeah. Right. And I think that's kind of glossed over because at one point he says, I'm paying for all of this. And it almost sounds like, you know, just another, like everything he says, something sarcastic. You know, everything that comes out of his mouth is sarcastic. Um, And I think that's why he's so enthusiastic about funding everything because, yeah, he doesn't want to be on the front lines anymore. Right. And the whole thing with them not trusting him, a lot of that plays into Captain America's relationship with him. Captain America has never seen eye to eye with Tony Stark. They're total stark contrasts of each other, no pun intended. Uh. But... You see it in the first Avengers movie. You see it in this film. You obviously see it in the third Captain America Civil War. Oh, yeah. Where it's the two factions against each other. So that's been a consistent throughout the entire film. And I'm really curious to see how they tie that up in Endgame. Right. Um, Yeah, because I think the whole thing where I feel like there's a distrust is because the Cap has always kind of slept with one eye open when it comes to Tony. And I think that has to do with Tony's father more than anything else because you know he was funding weapons at right. the time um but i think we are going to come see that come to a head in endgame and i i think if we're going to lose one or if we're going to lose anybody it's going to be one or the other i think that they're going to really pit them against each other and that's going to play into who maybe lays down their life to save the human race it's going to be either tony or the cap so after a uh, so so after a back and forth with them, they have Jarvis integrate Ultron into um, one of the Iron Legion soldiers, but immediately he starts to malfunction. He shows hostility and he attacks Jarvis. Um, after a long party at uh, Stark Tower. Ultron arrives and calls them all out as killers and says that he is on a mission to create peace in our time and sends, uh, he sends the Iron Legion to attack the Avengers. Okay. This whole sequence, the whole uh, scene at the party is one of my favorite things in the Avengers ever. Because yep. you need more scenes of them just being themselves. I love that you got to see them let loose. Yeah. yeah the bit with them all trying to, it's lift like a hammer. frat party, lift the hammer. But I love how they bring that back later on because yeah. Vision can lift it. Yeah. And yeah. it's sort of like a pa- passing of the torch. So uh, it's not a completely, uh, you know, there's a motivation yeah. there. It least. could have also uh, been a standalone thing, even without the bits later that we'll get into. Uh, the one thing that I love about it is that 
uh, Steve Rogers makes it kind of scooch a little bit on the table, and you see Thor's face just drop because yes. he doesn't believe that a human could be poss- possibly capable of that. It's it's brilliant. The look on his face, like you could just see the color draining. That's great. Um, um, I also, also uh, one thing about the party that has to be mentioned is that uh, Stan Lee... Best cameo ever. A great cameo. He he cameos as a World War II veteran. Um, in the movie, it says that he was at Omaha Beach. Uh, in real life, Stan Lee was in the military from 1942 to 1945. Um, he was... Uh, he basically worked in their... Uh, their training division. He basically like made like manuals and like training videos for the army. I did not know that. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, he actually like like just like a couple years ago got like a like an honorary induction into something. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but he was actually a veteran. So it's it's kind of great that he's playing a veteran surrounded by other veterans. And the funniest thing is when Thor gives him a shot of like his, you know, nectar of the gods. Yeah. <laughs> and he can't handle it. It's, it's so great. <laughs> That's the only yeah. time in these movies that he actually says it. Yeah. That's no, perfect. Um, so- and I love the setup here, though, because when the party gets crashed, you're totally not expecting it because this is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see it coming at all. Um, after being defeated, Ultron escapes through the internet and the scepter is missing along with him. And can I just say that when you hear the, I've got no strings on me, it is so so creepy and so good. And I forgot until we saw this movie again recently that in the first trailer for this film, that was the song that they played over the trailer. And, and it was perfect. I remember clearly because they changed this. Like it doesn't play out like this in the movie, but in the trailer, when they first showed what Ultron finally looks like, he's just looking like off to the distance, just going, "There are no strings on me," and I'm just like, "Ah, it's bad, <laughs> bad guy." I also kind of love that that was Disney throwing it in everyone's face. Like, yes, we have acquired this now. Yeah. <laughs> um. So after that battle is done, there's an argument between, surprise, surprise, Tony and Steve, um, and Tony defends his Ultron project by saying the end game is up there, referring Uh, to space and also referring to him coming through that portal. I love the fact that they dropped end game in that early on. I don't think it was intentional. I think that uh, they had no idea what the last Avengers movie was going to be called, but because uh, Doctor Strange says it in... Infinity War, we're in the end game now. I think that's why they called it that. But the fact that they used that early on is really amazing. Yeah, I like that they were able to revisit it and extract that in the end. There were little things throughout this entire movie that worked really well in planting things that led up to where we are now. Ugh. Obviously, we wouldn't have known it up to that up to this point in time when the film was released because the other films hadn't come out yet. No. But I'll say this now before we continue any further. If you guys are gearing up to watch Endgame, I think it's crucial that... uh, I mean, you you should watch all of the Avenger movies, but I think if there's one you're going to watch, assuming you've seen all of them before, of the three, I think this is probably the one that you should watch. If you only could pick if one. If you need a refresher. If we're, if we're living in a world where you've seen them all at least once and you're familiar with them, but you need a refresher on just one, yeah, this is the one that I think people need a refresher on. So much stuff happened in this movie that I didn't realize was in this particular movie where they planted things first. This is the first time you see collectively 
uh, all the Infinity Stones uh, matched up with the the places where they were hiding. This is right. the first place where you actually see the gauntlet. This is the first place where you see where you see any mention of other places that will come into play. Like uh, immediately after, like they have the fight, they try to find out where Ultron is going to be going, and they find out that it's going. They're going to be tracing this uh, this thief who has stolen things from Wakanda. Yeah. And yeah. It's the first time that they mention Wakanda. Yeah. No, and I thought nothing of it when we saw this. Yeah. Who so uh, Ultron goes to the Hydra base and, you know, through the internet and uses the weapons and pieces to build his robotic form. He says he has come to save the world and destroy the Avengers, and he wants to use Scarlet Witch to get into their heads and turn them against each other. And he does point out that Tony Stark has already started that, Mm -hmm. that there is a fracture there, and he wants to play up on it. And uh, the twins reveal that their parents were killed by a Stark weapon that had been used on their village, and they've vowed revenge against him. So you also find out why Hydra really zoomed in on them, wanting to use them as weapons, because... They obviously have their own endgame in mind, and that's to go after Tony Stark. And if you go after Tony Stark, it means you're going after Iron Man. Well, that's what they said. They said that they weren't uh, like picked for the project or anything. They volunteered. Right. So they were obviously looking to make something of this. And it's it's kind of telling that just how many like lives Tony Stark ruined when he was still in the mindset of like the Lord of War Tony Stark. Right. Where when when he was just selling weapons to anybody who would pay for them, no matter what happened. And they didn't have names and faces and essentially he didn't care. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what the cap still holds against him. That's why like when they actually see like uh some missiles with the Stark label on them on the side later in the movie and uh they ask Tony, like, does this look familiar to you? And he just goes, This isn't my life. Right. Because he always stayed away from that side of it. Right. Uh, so we're introduced to Claw, who was stealing weapons in Wakanda, as you brought up before. Mm-hmm. And he's also a black market arms dealer who, after an argument, has his arm cut off by Ultron, who then battles the Avengers successfully, due mostly to Scarlet Witch using mind control on the team, although she is eventually stopped by Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the entire team down and the Hulk's mind uh, controlled by Scarlet Witch, he goes on a rampage causing Iron Man to call in for backup, and we see the first version of the Hulkbuster outfit. Yes. So good. That whole scene, I mean, it's the Hulkbuster outfit is really, really cool, but that whole scene gets a bit gratuitous as far as them just throwing each other around and destroying the city. It started to feel like Batman versus Superman. And we I, I was actually going to say week. Man of Steel because Man of Steel is like, oh no, Superman's saving us again, run. And they're just throwing him through buildings and taking out businesses. Exactly. The collateral damage from this must have been insane. Tony even says it at one point, how fast can we buy the building? Because he knows he's going to destroy it. Yeah. But um, yeah, we had hit on that a little bit in last week's episode that Zack Snyder does not know how to cut out of a scene. And... It's just like, we spent the money to shoot this, so we're going to leave everything in, and the battles are just so drawn out. This started to feel a little bit like that. All right, before we even get into the Hulkbuster stuff, we need to get into uh, the stuff that actually happens in the factory. Because first of all, 
one of the biggest things about that is, and the, this is one of the biggest things about Ultron himself, um, is that he has a moment where he says something and Claw looks at him and goes like, Tony Stark said that to me once. You remind me of him. Yes. And that's the thing about Ultron. Uh, I don't know if you know this. In the comics, uh, Tony and Bruce did not make Ultron. Uh, Ant-Man did. Hank Pym. Right. And the thing about Ultron was that he was a failed experiment in what one would consider a failed because he took all of his negative characteristics. He took his like anger and his frustration and his rage. And with this one, he took Tony Stark's like snarky attitude and he took his like savvy savvy. And he also took his like his single mindedness. Yes. Which is why a lot of that goes into it. And I think this is the place to talk about this. How great is James Spader oh my God. as so Ultron? He's so good. He's got... He, what I like about his portrayal is he starts sort of monotone. He starts very robotic. But as Ultron grows in the physical form, he starts to grow mentally. Mm. And he grows more into, even though it is a robot, more of a... Oh, more, more of a human asset because he starts to inflect certain things. He shows frustration. He shows sympathy. He f- shows, uh, I mean, a little bit of empathy, not a lot. But you can tell that he's there. But that, but that ping has gone off in his head. I think the thing that I like the most about that is that he took like Tony Stark's quips away from him before Tony can have a moment to do it because his mind works faster. So there's a thing where Thor says, like, we don't have to break anything, and he goes, clearly you've never made an omelet. (laughs) And then Tony goes, I was a half a second away from saying that myself. Like, that, like, way of thinking is, like, so good. Right, and the whole reason why they were in Wakanda was because they were trying to go after the vibranium, which they said is the most powerful metal on Earth, and that's also the metal that they use to make uh, Captain America's shield. Another one of my favorite lines in that whole movie, most versatile metal on the planet, and they use it to make a Frisbee. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I want to touch on the line that you mentioned before, uh, that he says, I got that from Tony Stark. I think it was something to the effect of um, keep your friends rich, your enemies richer, and then you're going to figure out who's who. Which is which, yeah. It's so brilliant. Yeah. Um, So to lay low after all of that destruction and mayhem, they go to Hawkeye's safe house where his family lives in hiding. Um, And it's at that point that anybody that thought there may have been something there between him and Natasha, obviously we've seen Natasha's got something going on with Bruce, but anybody that thought anything had gone on in the past other than a partnership on a professional level is squashed. I think that's it. I think that because these two have been in the trenches together, they have such an understanding of, you know, obviously what the other has been through. But, um, you know, she probably has seen what Hawkeye has had to go through to have some sort of a personal life and, you know, have that protection from S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, For me, though, this is where the film comes to a screeching halt. I could do without this entire domesticity scene I didn't really need Hawkeye's backstory I didn't need to see the family the only thing I kind of wish that they did because when I when I first saw it I didn't like it I didn't think it jived with in the context of the whole rest of the film Um, but I almost wish they put his family in New Orleans because now that we've seen Captain Marvel 
I feel like that would have been a cool uh, Easter egg that you have like the safe houses for both characters kind of near each other, like as if they had been that way the whole time. I, I kind of have to disagree with you here. I really did uh, like the idea. First of all, I like the bait and switch that he actually has a family that's been kept off the radar from S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I think the thing that I like the most about this is because we had 20 minutes with his family in one movie, we don't need a standalone Hawkeye movie. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. I would not watch a 90-minute Hawkeye movie, and no. this this scene accomplished eliminating that film yeah. from the canon. I also disagree with you because I think that you have Tony Stark, who, other than Pepper and Happy, is someone who is selfish. Um, he doesn't really have that family life. He's never going to, it, it kind of appears at least. Captain America had Agent Carter, but she's long gone because he was on, you know, he was on ice for so long. Right. I like the fact that you have somebody here with a human element. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think that Jeremy Renner gets better with each film that he's in. And I thought that this was the perfect opportunity to build on that character more. Because other other than this, or up to this point in time, you don't really have you you could kind of take it or leave it with Hawkeye. I think they needed to make him a little bit more endearing. Yeah. And I think that this accomplished that in in a massive fashion and and i found myself walking away from this film going you know i really like hawkeye more than i thought i was going to i wouldn't go that far but i i I do i i I kind of like hawkeye i think he's fun but i think when you compare him to the rest of the avengers it's like it's, it's like comparing a firecracker to an explosion like you you have like okay he's really cool compared to humans he's the most uninteresting person on the planet when you compare him to thor Right. So I think it's just a matter of like perspective with that. I like that they develop the character more in that he's not so monotone and he's not just delivering these one-liners and that they gave him much more of a personality. But I don't know. I just don't like how they went about it. I, I think it takes away from, you know, everybody in the Avengers has someone that they care about and someone that's worth fighting for but at the same time they're this ragtag bunch and i think it's so jarring I that think, he's got a whole family i think that it's a good idea for him to have a family i think it's more of a good idea for them to have this happen in the movie as opposed to your standard it's the middle of the movie so let's all fight and split up type thing i like that they needed to go to a safe place and there there's tension there but it's not like, this stinks, I don't want to be an Avenger anymore, and half of them fly away and do stuff. And then there's a sad song playing in the background while they look off into, like, a mirror or something. And then they get back together because they got to get back together for the sake of the team. No, I like that they didn't do that. They stayed in the safe place. They ex- uh, exposited a little bit about uh, Hawkeye's family. And at the same time, Thor went off to go deal with whatever the hell was going on in his head. I guess that's true. I will definitely give you that as far as the pacing of this film, it desperately needed a breather from all the action. And this was a good stopping point, especially because then we get Nick Fury back. Yeah. But um, I, I think probably what my bigger issue is, and I'm, I'm kind of realizing this now, is that everybody else is fighting because they've lost something. Now, Hawkeye hasn't really lost anything, which is, I mean, 
good. I don't want to see his kids die, but I guess, you know, now it, it kind of poses like that he has a foot out the door, it seems. I think it's kind of a weird situation that he's the one who's basically has, but I think, I think that actually has a different situation. I think he has the most to lose. And I wonder if he does in Endgame. I wonder if we find out that his family was a part of the snapping. I think that that's. Oh. I think that's actually why he becomes Ronan. So yeah. I think that's the whole thing. But uh, going back to why Thor left in the first place, I don't think we really went into this. Uh, Scarlet, which is like mind games with everything. Yes. Uh, in the house, we don't see what he what she did to Hulk, but we saw what all the other visions were. Right. And right. Thor's was almost a precursor to Ragnarok. Where he he basically has him see uh, Heimdall come up to him and goes like, "You are a destroyer. You will lead us all to hell." Basically, like Asgard will burn. Yeah, it's basically their apocalypse. Yeah, and that's what Ragnarok is. That's right. That's that was leading up. That was before there was even a plan for a Thor Ragnarok movie, where it was like they were just like, "Oh crap, I guess Asgard's going down." But more so than that, I want to talk about how Scarlet Witch's visions are so inconsistent in what they show. Because it says one thing, like, I think she was supposed to exploit fears with all of this. And, like, Thor's fear was obviously, like, Asgard burning. But he used that as, like, a premonition into the future. Right. Steve Rogers' fear, I guess, was everybody forgetting about the war. Yeah, cause because with Tony's, his was losing his friends, obviously. Yeah. So that that definitely covered his fear. Tony's was his right. losing the war. Uh, Tony's was his losing his his friends. Um, Thor's was him just you know seeing everything that he loved just get destroyed at his own hand. Right. Black Widow's backstory though was her vision, and that doesn't really make sense. Like her biggest fear was something she already lived through. I mean, I I guess you could maybe make the argument, like we said, is that she's got nothing to lose anymore. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Well, as you said, uh, Pat, we we have Thor. He leaves. Um, while that's going on, Ultron then takes control of Doctor Helen Cho with the intention of using her to develop a new body for him. Nick Fury arrives at the safe house to tell the team that Ultron is building something using vibranium. Uh, as it turns out, Ultron is using Cho to evolve him into a human body. Thor finds Doctor Helvig, and they go to the Water of Sight, where he uh, can return to his dream if the water spirits accept him he can also see a reflection from all the realms um and what he sees other than his dream are the infinity stones and you do see your first glimpse of what appears to be the infinity gauntlet yeah this scene might be other than the snap itself and it's underrated this might be the most significant scene in the mcu it, it probably is, and I think not just because you see all the stones, because you had seen the stones before. In Guardians of the Galaxy, when the Collector is going through all the stones, they, he explains what everything is and how powerful they are. But this is the first time where you see all the stones together, and you see kind of a glimpse of what's going to happen with them in the future. Right, and I like that they did it in such a way where it wasn't like... Hey guys, look, this is what we're going to do with the next couple of movies. Like yeah. it felt natural. Um and I like that they keep bringing Scarsgard back. 
Uh, I, I I like him as an actor. I like the character, and I like that he wasn't just limited to the Thor trilogy, and they keep pulling him into the Avengers, and that he still has a place in this world. Yeah. So, um, Scarlet Witch, while reading Ultron's new human mind, because Ultron has hooked himself up to it, and they're starting to build that human brain, so she can finally read it now, because it's not just a computer. Um, she sees that his plan for peace is human extinction. So the twins run off, the Avengers arrive, and Ultron disconnects himself from the body before he can finish uploading into it. The Avengers battle Ultron, and the twins join them in their goal of defeating Ultron. Uh, They also get a hold of Ultron's new body. Stark tells Banner that Jarvis is alive when we thought that he had been killed by Ultron earlier in the film, and he was hiding, and that Ultron attacked Jarvis out of fear. And now Stark wants Banner to upload Jarvis into this newly made human body. Meanwhile, Ultron has kidnapped Black Widow. I want to take a a break just for a second. And we need to. And explain this human body. First of all, breathe. There was, yeah, Yeah. it's hard to do at times. Um, (laughs) The whole thing with the human body, we saw after the first battle that they had this technology that could develop human tissue and they're using it on Hawkeye because he was injured in the first battle and they have a quick line a throwaway line that says oh if we're back in in our full lab we could have had this done in 20 minutes so Mm -hmm. Cho has this technology that Tony Stark has funded that's the technology they're using to build this human body for um, Ultron that they later upload Jarvis into I think the biggest uh, thing about vision though uh, what eventually becomes vision is that while they're building this body they need power that they did not have to make it work and they use the stone from inside Loki's staff they use the mind stone right and here's the thing if they had tried to do it without that who knows how long it could have taken if it would have worked whether or not it would have been successful in the long run, but this has an Infinity Stone as its base, and just imagining like what Ultron could have done with that is pretty impressive. I like that they didn't necessarily know what they were doing it with yeah. it either. Like they they knew it was going to give Vision power, but they didn't realize exactly what it was. Thank God it worked. Yeah, because here's the thing: like if I was in the room and Tony Stark said. Let's try it again, except this time with something like 20 times more powerful. I would have stabbed him. (laughs) Which is kind of what they tried to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as they started the upload, Iron Man and Banner, along with Hawkeye, battle the twins and Captain America, who are against said upload. But Thor intervenes and uses his hammer to draw the lightning and the energy into the body, uh, into the body, finishing the upload and finishing the creation of Vision. Mm-hmm. Thor then explains that Vision possesses the Time Stone, and they can't defeat Ultron without Vision on their side. And the team heads to uh, Sokovia to evacuate the city, rescue Black Widow, and destroy Ultron. And we also see Tony in his new Friday Iron Man suit. He's actually got the Mind Stone, right? What I say, the time stone? Yep. Right, it is the mind stone. My apology. I, I sometimes lose track of these stones. There's a lot of them. I also don't blame you because right now there is so much going on yeah. in the film. There's so All many right. layers. But here's the thing. Uh, the most important thing before they go to uh, Sokovia to try and figure out exactly what 
Ultron is planning on doing with this. Um, the first thing that they do is they try to stop Vision. They, he has to convince them that he's on their side. Right. First thing he does, which I would do if I had his power, is grow a cape. And <laughs> the second thing that he does is basically convince them, that, like, look, I am on the side of life. I'm like Ultron, but I'm not one of his children. I do not want to see Earth exterminated. Anyway, we got to go. Here's your hammer. Right. And he picks up the hammer, which has never been done by any other character until then. And immediately everyone's just like, cool, let's do this. That's right. I forgot that Doctor Strange had the time stone. Yes. He's got the mind stone. And that also explains why he's able to keep everything intact. Right. I believe that without the mind stone, his body would be so unstable with the power that it was given and with the uh, limits of the technology that was put into it. The stone is helping him keep himself together. Yeah, this, I this movie is one that I've watched it three times in the last two days, and even still, I'm picking up on new things, and I'm still sort of left having to think, like, wait, which one was this? There is just so much going on in this movie. Yeah. And I think, too, because we've had so much information from Doctor Strange, from Black Panther now, that is all kind of getting jumbled in. I mean, that's 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 why Pat's here. <laughs> at least that's my reasoning because I don't know that I could walk through this without him. I mean, I've watched all of the Marvel movies multiple times and I can follow them, but you're right. After a while, everything sort of just melds into one thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's at least for me. But I didn't grow up reading these comics. I, I never really picked up a Marvel comic. I said it last week on the show. I was a DC Comics guy. Mm. I was a Green Lantern and a Batman guy. Ultron is the one comic book villain that I never read anything that he that he was involved in. Like I didn't know who the hell he was or what he was all about. All I knew is that my comic book loving friends were squeeing when they heard that it was going to be called Age of Ultron. To uh, touch on what you said before, though, that uh, Vision is on the side of life. I think that that was pretty brilliant because, as much as he needs to prove to them that he's gonna fight with the good guys if ultron was on the side of life he that would have tipped the scale yeah there, there's still a possibility here that he will side with ultron and i like that that you still can't necessarily trust him a hundred percent yeah yeah you you really didn't know because he was like he, he seemed like he was very much playing both sides Right. Like, if I have to, if this means fighting against you guys, I'm going to do that too. I'll take you out. Yeah. Well, because... that actually happens in later movies. But for this moment, he makes it very clear. He was like, I'm on the side of life. Ultron is not. We must stop Ultron. Right. right. And he, he basically said, I don't want to kill Ultron, but I have to. Yeah. Um, so once they get to the city, um, Sokovia. The city begins to rise above the Earth due to Ultron's vibranium-based machine activating and rising to the sky. It It's kind of like a hybrid of the helicarrier, but it's moving an entire city. Yeah. Can we talk about the CGI here for a second? Sure. Which I'm not usually a fan of CGI. I'm, I'm all about practical. There's no way, obviously, to accomplish this without CGI. But uh, I think that's probably the best that we've seen in... Marvel. The CGI in this entire movie is really good. Yeah. Ultron alone. Yeah. Ultron alone. Just the fact that, like, you know that he's not there. There's no instance that you do think he's there. But just the design of him and how it it's always constantly evolving and changing, and they did so much work 
to make him react with the environment. It was mm-hmm. very good. All the fight scenes, nothing looks really rubbery or like, uh, like okay. nothing looks cartoony. Not at all. Yeah, it's. So I mean, polished. some of it looks very cartoony, but it's meant to be. It's a, yeah, it's a comic book flick. What to- I like about the way they did Ultron is that they could have just they could have very easily made him look like a transformer. And yeah. he does not look like a Transformer. He looks like his own thing. He looks more like Iron Man, but not too similar. Like, you know they're part of the same world, but there's enough variation where it doesn't look like something else that Tony created. The original design of, of Ultron is very, very simple. Actually, when he first takes over that one, like, dilapidated Iron Man suit, and he's got, like, kind of the crooked, like, face, and you can see... Like, the eyes are kind of slanted, and the mouth is, like, jagged. That's what Ultron actually looks closer to looking like. Right. Okay. And the first time you see him, and he's dripping fluid everywhere, he looks like Tar Man. Yeah. Ah, oh, good reference. Right? Yeah. From Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. That's what I thought. And I, I wonder if that was part of their motivation, because he's sort of staggering, and he's kind of falling all over himself, and just dripping oil and fluid everywhere. Yeah, I kind of liked that zombie quality that they get, especially working with the I've got no strings. Like yeah. It just made it that much more creepy. Yeah. Um, so Agents Hill and Fury arrive in the helicarrier for backup, and Rhodey as War Machine joins the battle. I was really happy to see War Machine jump in here. Me too, and I like the scenes where he's actually like side-by-side shooting stuff with Iron Man. That's just a cool image to see. I don't typically like when characters are recast you know, mid-trilogy. Oh, yeah. But in this case, it was a good idea. It was a great idea. Don Cheadle as Rhodey is really good. It's really good. I I like that decision. Yeah, no, I love him. And I love the whole shield is back entrance. Like, obviously, they show up just in the nick nick of time. But um, I like how up until this point, first of all, they gave Agent Hill a much bigger role in this movie. Aunt Robin. I was going to say, as a Kobe Smulders fan, How I Met Your Mother fan, I love her getting more screen time, and I like that she's been interacting with them so much more, like especially in the party scene. She's letting loose. She's having some fun. Um, And you kind of forget about S.H.I.E.L.D. because this whole film has been about the Avengers taking matters into their own hands. And Nick Fury's been laying so low it was nice to see him show up in this moment. And, you know, I love that they they deliver on that last punch of the language joke where he gets the cap. Ah. And he's like, you kiss your mother with that mouth? I will say, though, and we cannot overlook this before we uh, before they show up, before S.H.I.E.L.D. shows up with the helicarriers, that entire fight scene of the Avengers trying to keep the robots away from the civilians and trying to keep them away from the core is such a great sequence from start to finish. It does start with one huge question that I have, and I don't know if you caught this. How the hell did Bruce Banner get down there to save Black Widow? Oh, when she's in the jail cell? When she's in the jail cell. Yeah, they never really explain that, right? He just shows up there. Yeah. Which means, A, it's within walking distance. B, it has no guards. C, Ultron did not stop it with all the eyes that he has around that city. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. 
that's that's pretty weak. I'm trying because there's so much going on at this point. I'm trying to think of where he was prior to this. Yeah, I. It, you're right. Who was watching Hulk? <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, that's the fu- that's even the funnier thing is when they have that moment where they reconnect and she goes like I adore you but I need the other guy and, and she yes, pushes him. Yes, I love it's that. great. This is another situation where I'm going to say thank God that worked. Yeah. yeah. Because that was so out of character for me when she's like I adore you. I mean, I know they've been like peeling back the layers of this relationship, but yeah. I was like that was a corny line for Natasha Romanoff and I was kind of disappointed. And then they deliver on the butt. And I was yeah. like, okay, there you go. No, I can't remember where Banner's been since the house. Since they were at Hawkeye's house. From what I can tell, he got a ride to Sokovia. Yeah. He found the entrance to where she was hiding on her, on his own. Was he with Hill? No. He was no, alone. He was by himself. So he just figured out a way to get there. Because I know he's flying the ship at the end, but I don't think that that's how he got there. No, I don't think so. In Again, in my head cannon, he rode the same... Uh, little moped that he rode into the city in <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> All right, listeners, I mean, we're we're kind of at a loss right now. So if anybody wants to comment on our social media and and fill in that gap, we'll take it. Um, but to circle back to what you said, yeah, the the whole battle is brilliant. And what I like about how they did this is that. In the first Avengers, you know, it's so impressive that they're all fighting together and they're still trying to feel each other out as far as what they're going to contribute. All you see is, you know, civilians being moved en masse. You know, yeah. they, they team up with the NYPD to save as many people as possible. What I like here is they focus on individual saves, like yeah. particularly with the Cap and Thor when the bridge is about to go down and you actually see, you know really close-ups of faces and how they're actually helping people and trying to evacuate everyone. Begs another question of who the hell is staying in their car when they see the bridge collapse like that for yeah. very long. They do it in all these superhero movies. <laughs> they well, do it in all of them. They did it in X-Men the 3 when one... the bridge is moving. They're just yeah. like, well, I guess I'll just stay here then. Then you've also got that one family that's in the tower that Tony has to save in the yeah. bathtub. The hell, Did you was, not get the memo? That was their excuse. The only movie that I think they they didn't stay on the bridge was in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Otherwise, every other comic book film, I mean, you have to do it in Spider-Man, right? So that he can like use his web and swing in and save a school bus or sure. some, che- Cable some car. teenage girls or whatever it is that he's got to save. But yeah, you're right. It's It's kind of... It's sort of the standard for these comic book movies. Yeah. All right. um, but Sta- you that that stuff standing alone though, like the the whole every bit of action in this scene is so much fun. Oh, it's that, great. that one yeah. that one shot. And again, like it's not a single shot because they clearly had to use CGI to make this work. But the shot of them circling around the core where they're all standing around facing outwards. Yeah. And everybody gets a really good shot in it, like 10 or 12 robots a piece. Yeah. It's a really good scene. And this this has some really good moments. Like, everybody uses Captain America's shield in better than he does in every instance. Have you noticed that? I love that it's not like the hammer that everybody does get to take a crack yeah. at the shield or make sure that it gets back to him. Hawkeye throws the, the shield just as good as Captain America can just to get it to him. Exactly. Yeah. Thor hits it with the hammer and it goes through like 20 guys. 
Everybody uses the shield better than Captain America. And it still doesn't get old when they use the shield and the hammer together. Yeah. I like how in this scene, too, that they flip Scarlet Witch and that she finally decides what side that she's on. That's good. Right. Well, as Ultron is unleashing this attack, Hawkeye, who's attempting to save a child, is saved because Quicksilver sacrifices himself by running in front of the gunfire. Yeah. And Scarlet Witch then avenges her brother by killing Ultron's robotic body. Right. I mean, rips his heart out. Yep. And I think her her um her line was something to the effect of, "Do you know what it's like to feel pain?" Something like that. It, it, was, she... it was it was uh, Ultron. Basically, in a moment of almost humanity, Ultron looks at her and goes, "If you stay here, you will die." And she goes, "Like I already died. Do you want to know what it feels like?" Right. And, and yes. She pulls yeah, yeah, his yeah. Heart out. Pulls his heart out. Uh, I think this also needs to be said because we didn't really focus on this at all. Uh, they did Quicksilver really well in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for which did it better, this one or X Men, X Men did it way better because they were more creative with it. The way that they used like the music playing in the headset, and they mm-hmm. had him like running around, like messing with like liquids and stuff like that. But this was, I think, before uh, First Class, wasn't it? Was it before First Class or around the same time? I thought it was around the same time. Okay, this was twenty fifteen. I thought they were. Before. They used. They used. They didn't copy anything or do anything differently. But I liked the effect of him like running over, like running like against walls and things like that to get climbing over obstacles while everything's stopped or in slow motion. I especially liked him trying to grab Thor's hammer. Yes. Like he stopped for a second to look at the hammer moving. Yeah. It was like, huh, and he just takes it and grabs it and it just carries him off. I definitely like how they use Quicksilver in the context of this film. Yeah. Also, it they make him worked. like, I think the, the one played by Evan Peters uh, that's his name, right? The guy from American Horror Story. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I like him a lot. I like him. I don't like his Quicksilver. I think he's way too like, kind of like teenage, cocky, obnoxious. I like this version of Quicksilver, where it's more of just like, yeah, he's full of himself, but he also knows how to be serious. And he keeps calling Hawkeye old man. Yeah, I like that. And I especially like. Uh, in the one scene where he's put in charge of like warning everybody and he runs <laughs> into the police station <laughs> yeah. and nobody moves and he runs back in with the gun. With the gun. But <laughs> I, here's the thing. Though. Why did nobody move when a man instantly appears in a police station and tells everybody, get the hell out? Yeah, really. It took him doing a double take almost like, come on, let's move. How here's your call to action. How are you that a man moves faster than the human eye can see and you just, literally one of the security guards just shrugs and goes, eh, guess it was nothing. I mean, very different films, but <laughs> in Enchanted, when Amy <laughs> Adams' princess comes out of, literally pops out of a sewer in Times Square in a wedding dress, nobody bats an eye. I mean, it is Times Square. Lots of I think you can just see people are just, they're just over it. They're just like, ugh, I don't have any money. I don't want to photograph. <laughs> exactly right. Not that it matters, though, because Sokovia begins to plummet back to the Earth and is destroyed by Iron Man and Thor before any more casualties can occur. Hulk, who is flying an aircraft in stealth mode, disconnects from the team and disappears into seclusion. Ultron, in one of his more primitive forms, is then found by Vision and is finally destroyed. And you could tell that it pained Vision to destroy Ultron. He didn't want to do it, and he waited until Ultron attacked first. 
That's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Like Ultron lunged at him at the end. Again, one of my favorite like lines in the movie is where he just goes like, you're, you're, you're unbearably naive. And he goes like, well, I was born yesterday. Yes. <laughs> Let's be real about something. Vision is not Han Solo. Han shot first. Yeah. That's not the case. He here. waited. He waited until the very last moment and then vaporized him. Um, the one thing that I will say is just because, again, like he, Ultron, until the very end, kept that Tony Stark like you could even if his eyes were blown off, you could feel him rolling them. Yes. <laughs> like the Tony Snark, the Tony Snark. He had the Tony Snark where like all he was doing, like even at the end where he was just like, oh, please, they're all doomed. Like, I hate <laughs> this. Um, one of my favorite moments in any superhero movie ever is when he's in the plane trying to mow down as many civilians as possible with the minigun. Hulk comes in and Ultron goes, oh, for God's sake. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's such a perfect moment of like, you know what? Fine. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> and I like how as, as it went on, he got snarkier and snarkier. Yeah. Like he just, the whole evolution of Ultron over the course of this film is brilliant. It never feels rushed, but it works because yeah. it does happen very quickly, but it's believable. Yeah. It's totally believable. No, and I like that it goes from technological warfare when they think that, you know, they just have a moment to breathe. They have a moment of peace in the beginning and they're trying to come up with a solution for the greater good to maintain it. And it morphs into physical form. Like that that whole thing is just brilliant. We talked about him before. I think a lot of this is just a compliment to James Spader. Just the way he the way he did this character and the way he inflected in his voice work was so brilliant. I mean, he brought so much life to this character that I I don't know I don't know that I'd want anybody else to play him at this I point. I loved I like James Spader a lot and I love his voice. And so to hear that in a character like Ultron is really great, especially because I know for a fact that, like, in everything that I have read with Ultron, he's very, like, RoboCop talking. Like, you have 10 seconds to comply. Like, that sort of, like, yeah. very monotone, like, humanity is a disease, it will be exterminated. Like, that sort of thing. I like it so much better having it be the dude from the Blacklist. Yeah. But I wonder if part of that was because they were trying not to have him sound like a droid or a transformer, something that wasn't as robotic. I'm not going to lie. If they, if he had had like, if, if a transformers movies had never happened and he had the voice of Optimus prime or Megatron, it would have been like chilling. Yeah. But I think you needed him to sound like Tony in this case. And actually to touch on what you said before, when he goes, Oh God, there was I wasn't looking at the screen at that point. Yeah. And I think I might have been like looking down at my notes or my phone or something. And I remember thinking to myself, wait, where did Tony come from? Because yeah. he wasn't <laughs> in it at that moment. And it, it totally got me. Um, and I like how he goes out. I like that we really get a glimpse of the power of the Infinity Stones because, as you said, it vaporizes him. Yeah. And not only that, but before then... Like, one of uh, Vision's powers that he, like, uses once, because that's all he needs to do, he grabs his head for 10 seconds, and he shuts Ultron out of the entire yes. internet. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, like, he completely destroys his escape routes. He keeps him only within the bots that he has there. And not any of them are any more powerful than he is. Right, and he's like, you shut me out? 
well, it doesn't matter anyway. Like he's yeah. immediately like, you know what? It doesn't matter because yeah. he he knew that he had that army there. And I think it was uh, there. Were, there was a scene right as that big battle starts. But like, if that is that the best that you could do, and he was like, and he no, just waves his arm, and more of them come, and he goes, "That's the best that I could do." It was just so good. Um, so a new Avengers facility opens in upstate New York. Thor says that he can't stay as he needs to figure out why the Infinity Stones keep popping up. Stark leaves as well, but Captain America and Black Widow stay with Rhodey, Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Falcon to continue building the Avengers. That's how the film ends, and then we get to the mid credit scene. Mm-hmm. With Thanos putting on the Infinity Gauntlet, and all he says is, fine, I'll do it myself. And then he does. And then he does. <laughs> yeah. I we, we mentioned on the show last week that they did such a good job of slowly planting Thanos here, a little Thanos here, a little Thanos here. Yeah. And like they planted him, and then you didn't see him for years. And then they a little plant, and then a little plant. And like I don't want to say that I don't want to say that they they didn't spoil him for Infinity War because you know how powerful he is, but I think downplaying his power yeah made Infinity War that much more jarring when you see what he accomplishes in that film. Everybody talked about how powerful Thanos was and how strong his armies were and how it made him seem like he was just another guy who was like, he just has a lot of manpower at his disposal, but not that he himself is that powerful. Right, like and he's then sending out his And then in the first te- five minutes of Infinity War, he beats Hulk in a fist fight. Yeah. That's how you show you have severely no idea how powerful this guy is. No, and I, I I like the approach because, Sean, you've said this before with certain superhero movies is that the villains get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it's like, how could you possibly take them out? Right. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it, there's no payoff because I, I think you've said this in the context more of the DC universe is that, you know, they fight these huge battles and then by the time all the sequels are done, it's like the simplest thing that could have taken out the villain the whole time. It's, it's almost as if they run out of material to destroy the villain. And what I like here is that you've kind of stripped everything away by the time we get Thanos is because there's no more big armies that have been built. I mean, yes, like he does have his people, but really it's just him collecting the stones. And mm-hmm. I love how they present this line of fine I'll do it myself because I I have not seen Age of Ultron as many times as I have the other movies and I almost thought that Ultron came from Thanos and what you don't realize necessarily or what I didn't realize I should say is that he's been observing this whole time and it's like all right I can do this better yeah and that is scary and you want to talk about movies where the build up just doesn't justify the epic battle or what is built up to it, a lot of people will point at Man of Steel. Yeah. I point at The Dark Knight Rises. Okay, so all you had to do with Bane was pull a couple of hoses out of his mask. That's it. But that's always been the case with Bane. I don't have a problem with that. 
but they make him out to be this larger than life yes borderline terrorist who it's like geez it's not that he's got superpowers so much as he is a super villain how do you destroy this guy and it was let's just unplug him a little bit that's i don't have a problem with that because that's how bane has always been defeated I, but I normally just, it's the stuff in the back. If they had made him like more like kind of like what he was in the comics with the Venom, as opposed to just kind of like, I have asthma. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> like uh, they instead uh, focus on it's a weakness. It's a weakness that he has. It's a visible weakness. It's a very childish comic book way of beating somebody. But li- like, oh, there's the big. It's like when you play a video game and you're like, aim for the giant glowing red dot on that bad guy. And don't hit anywhere else. That's what Bane's weakness is there. Ultron doesn't have one of those. Right. Vision does. Yeah. Vision's got the Mind Stone. If you take that away from him, as we saw in Infinity Wars, he just topples to the ground. Right. But with all that being said, I think that they've done a very tasteful job of building up to this villain. And they've given the villain, we'll talk about Infinity War next week, they give the villain his due. They give the villain his day. Absolutely. And that's what's making all of this, you know, so intimidating and and so thought-provoking is what is going to happen next. Like, will the Time Stone bring Quicksilver back? You know, mm. like what what exactly mm. is going to happen? I hadn't even thought of that I didn't actually. Either. I I think um you know, I guess maybe we'll do our predictions for Endgame and and our, you know, final thoughts on on Age of Ultron. Uh I I don't think that everybody's gone. I think between the Soul Stone, the Time Stone, I think there's going to be a way to use them to bring everybody back, which is why um you know, and we'll talk about this more next week. Uh, it, it wasn't such a sad ending for me because I don't believe that they're truly gone. Um, Have you guys seen The Leftovers? No. No. The show? It's basically like, it is literally a show about like what happens if 2% of the world just disappears overnight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and like the earth like fall has to fall through like with what is left with the people who are still here. I've I've not seen it, but I yeah. yes. I don't think two percent is the number. I think it's like much bigger than that. But uh, basically, they make it like where like a certain percentage of the world is just gone mm-hmm. in one day, and the show just follows like how much the world has to react to that. And I feel like that's what we're going to get a lot of in Infinity Wars on a much bigger scale, because they said that it was going to be like half the population of everything. That doesn't just mean half the population of Earth. Earth has a lot of people on it, but we don't know how many creatures are in the universe that are in, that's in Marvel, how many right. other planets there are. Right. So it might be half of all life on in the universe total, which means we're going to lose maybe like 10% of the Earth. Could be. Interesting. Um Final thoughts on this film? Pat, we'll start with you. All right. I like this, this movie a lot. I think of all the Avengers movies uh, that have come out so far, um, it's the one that I think can be on and I can enjoy rewatching more than the others. Infinity War, I have to be in the right mindset to watch that movie because it is impactful. Avengers, I feel like, is a pre- was a pretty cool movie when it came out, but it has aged not as well as the rest of them. I feel like there's a lot more to like in this movie on repeated viewings than there are in the first Avengers movie. 
Interesting. I really do like this movie. I think it's a really good one. Um, I think that if you're looking for something that was like true to the comics, you're not going to find it here. Uh, but if you wanted something that was that had like a lot of great moments, like I love the script. I love Joss Whedon. I like all the little stupid references, like the fact that Tony Stark names his surveillance robots Betty and Veronica. He has his backup AI named Friday, and it's got an Irish accent because it's modeled after his girl Friday. Uh, like, there's so many little things about this that I just really do love. And it's until we got to Civil War, this was the definition of like, what if you just threw all your action figures together? And had them all fight because yeah. you had the Hulkbuster fighting Hulk. You had that great intro sequence, the amazing fight afterwards with everything. This is a great action-packed Avengers movie. Jack, final thoughts. Um, it's interesting because last week we were talking about how much Avengers does hold up, but now when you put it against this, um, I kind of agree with what Pat said. It's still really enjoyable to watch, but it almost seems like a fluff piece in comparison because this one got so much deeper. There's so many more layers and there's so much more going on. Um, I love that the humor never gets old. The witty, snappy dialogue is still on point and it doesn't feel like it's sticky at this point. Um, yeah, and to touch on what you said, too, we haven't really got to talk about this yet, is I think Joss Whedon has such a great grasp on the material and this universe as a whole. Uh, I, I think, like, you can just tell. I, I think that comes from him as a director, and I think it comes from the, the actors also having such a grasp on their characters. Mm -hmm. And everything just feels so natural. Um, the only thing that I don't like about this movie... And I'm not going to let this go. I'm not going to let the episode end without saying it. I like the introduction of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver as characters. I don't think the Marvel Universe is anywhere for an Olsen sister. Granted, she's not one of the twins. Yeah, all right. If it was Mary Kate or Ashley, I would definitely agree with you. You got it, Thanos. Oh, Jesus. There's absolutely no room for that garbage. I think it's clear that they held the talented one on the side yeah. so as to not take away from that 1994 royalty money for those <laughs> <laughs> straight to VHS they're movies. Still making mo they're still making money from It Takes Two. I don't think we Seriously? need, I don't think we need to worry. That's on Netflix now. Oh, my God. But I think like of all the Olsen twins they could have gotten, they got the good one. I mean, I get, I appreciate that it's kind of like the Brie, Brie Larson thing where you took the indie darling and put her in a superhero movie, but I just, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not buying it. And maybe because like Michelle Tanner is so ingrained in my head, I realized that she did not play Michelle Tanner and she's their, I think, older sister or yeah. she younger? Yeah, she's their she's older, older sister who they kept in hiding. Yes, I agree with you until they were done acting. But, um, I, I don't know. I think I think they like anyone could have played this role. I don't think that, you know, when I think of all the actors and I'm like, man, that was such great casting. I think it, it, any female actress could have played her. I think for this universe that they're trying to build with the movies, she was a good Scarlet Witch because Scarlet Witch in the comics is a very, very over the top, brassy, like almost like. I don't want to say like Bette Midlerish type, like in uh, 
hocus pocus, but it's very yeah, like yeah. it's very like like what have you done? I will destroy you. She's like, that theatrical. Sort of she's very theatrical. Like she almost could have come from Asgard. She's also like in the comics, like the single most powerful thing on the planet. Like she, like if Thanos snapped, she could just snap back and make it not happen without a stone. Like, but. I think that in the terms of the universe they were going for, with the story they were building, especially with the relationship between the characters here, I think she did a good job. I also think that they have to dial things back like that because if you have something so powerful that beats everything else, then what was the point of doing all of these movies? Why do we care about Thanos well, and the My stones? gripe is not with the character. I think the character's fine. I like that they gave her like this gothic teen angsty element. I'm just saying anybody could have played it and it would have been just as fine. Okay, fair enough. And instead I'm looking at it going, yeah, you got it, dude. So I think for me, this film holds up better than it had prior to Infinity War coming out. I think now that we've gotten to this point and we've seen all of these other films in the Marvel canon be released... This movie, I, I mentioned it earlier, we talked about it, it plants so much. Mm-hmm. And now that we've seen all of that come out, I think that the film is that much better because those other films have been released because now we're like, oh, they teased it years ago. And this, as I said before, if you've seen all of them before and you want to brush up on one before you go see Endgame, I do think that this is the one that you should brush up on for two reasons number one i mentioned it before they plant so much stuff in here that you're going to forget that they planted in this film and i think the other one is that while this has a ton of rewatchability of the three avengers movies that are out up to this point in time this is the one that if you asked for an average is probably rewatched the least i think a lot of people have rewatched the first one i think recently Everybody has rewatched Infinity War. I think if you ask 10 people, which of the three Avengers movies do you think has the most rewatchability, or how many are of the three, which one of you rewatched the most? I bet you seven out of 10 people will not say Age of Ultron. Yeah. So this is the one that you want to brush up on. But I'm interested to hear what you all have to say, and I'm sure Jackie and Pat are as well, so you can let us know on our social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Monoreal Radio. Which one do you think has the most rewatchability? News this week, to say it was a busy week is understating the obvious. We got trailer drops, we got artwork for the parks, and we've got almost everything that we need to know at least up to this point about disney plus let's start i tell you what let's start with the with the meisner's thing and we're going to build up from there yeah that's that's probably the quickest piece of news we got some artwork for what the new beauty and the beast library themed meisner's is going to look like um they're as i understand it redoing the lounge as it stands as well as the gift shop next door so it's going to be a much bigger lounge which is good because one of our best kept secrets is now being out in the open. And I think they said they're going to have a patio. I don't know if it's an actual patio, though, or if it's a room that's just themed as such. No, I think it's going to be like a garden area that's supposed to look like the beast, you know, the point two frames of animation that they show the outside of the beast castle. Gotcha. In something there. I'm just hoping it doesn't affect 
monorail with monorail that badly. For those of you who who haven't heard yet, we're going to be going down to the parks in November, and we are inviting you to join us for an afternoon of conversation and cocktails. And we're going to do the monorail, uh, as it's known, the monorail pub crawl, between the Grand Floridian, the Poly, and uh, the Contempo. Yeah, and as we get closer to our trip, we'll we'll give an official date and time and which stop we're gonna we're gonna begin the crawl in. Um, other news that happens while we are on vacation in the parks: Disney Plus is dropping on November twelfth. Yes, we will be at Mickey's Very Merry Christmas uh, that day, and they're dropping. They're 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 launching, and that news dropped this week: six ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. So the price is right. Um, Seventy five hundred episodes of Disney programming, in addition to almost all of the Star Wars films. Um, eventually, they are going to roll out the full catalog. Um, but what surprised me the most: the first thirty seasons of The Simpsons are going to be on Disney Plus. What I'm interested in is whether or not it stays that way. I don't know. I know that was a big bargaining chip when it came to the parks because the Simpsons as it stands are at Universal, which to me, it's fine. Rip them out. That's now Disney property. Put Back to the Future back at Universal. I I think we can all live in that world. Um, I'm really excited for all of the original programming, too. I mean, you've got a ton of Marvel stuff. Like, we've heard about the Loki series for a while, but they're going to have a Hawkeye series. They're going to have a Scarlet Witch series. They're going to have... Um, is it, it? Is there something with Bucky? I think they're kicking around something with Bucky. Yes. Because Sebastian Stan, yeah, he's contracted to do something for the streaming service. Yeah, and we're also getting a couple of really cool reality shows. They're going to give us a lot of behind-the-scenes looks into makings of the films. It's a lot of documentaries. Uh, There's uh, a sneak peek at some of the Imagineering stuff. That's going to be really cool. Right. Be Our Chef. They're doing a cooking show. Yeah, that's that's cute. I like the name. And The Mandalorian, uh, which is Star Wars-related, which Lou Mangiello was at the big Star Wars convention over in Chicago this past week. And he said he, they showed some advanced, you know, an advanced screening of some of the footage from that show. He said this is the most excited he's been for anything Star Wars related since The Empire Strikes Back. Wow. I just love the poster artwork for it. It's really cool, really retro. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I I can't wait for Disney+. Plus. Um, We got two massive trailer drops this week. Uh, The first one was uh, for The Lion King. Yeah, that came out uh, right after last week's episode. That was earlier on last week. Yeah, I think it was the day we released last week's episode. Like that evening, I think it dropped. Um, And I think it looks great. I love the fact that you have Timon and Pumbaa singing in it. And I'm not one of these people that's up in arms about what Scar looks like. He's got the scar in his eye. He looks like a real animal. I don't really know what else people wanted. 
I feel like people just attack things for the sake of attacking things. They didn't they didn't like Will Smith is the genie because he wasn't blue. And then he was blue and they didn't like it. Now they don't like Scar. You're never going to please everybody, but I personally have no issue with the way that Scar looks in this movie. Yeah, my argument to these people is would you like him to look less like a lion? Like what will you have him look like? I mean, I guess it's the color of his coat. Maybe is what people have an issue with. But that the thing is it's a quote-unquote live action remake but it's not actually live action because there's no actors in it it's cgi but they're trying to make it look real right and knowing how favreau did his homework for the jungle book i guarantee you the coloring has to do with like wherever wherever this is supposed to take place it's a species that's native to the area they probably couldn't have scar be the same color as he is in the animation because it's probably not accurate it's probably there's no fact there and i've never seen an auburn to orange coated lion with a dark brown mane yeah so if if you're trying to make it look accurate in terms of the anatomy of a real animal that's what scar is going to look like right and again if this is a live action remake i'd rather you have it be true to a lion and not true to the animation and that's probably the only time i will ever say that and i nerded out when we got the trailer drop for star wars episode 9 the rise of skywalker so it's a very interesting title because i i don't want to spoil this for anybody if you haven't seen the um the last jedi if you haven't seen the last jedi i'm giving you three seconds to shut this podcast off in (laughs) three two and one so luke skywalker passes away at the end of that film he he sort of just vanishes it's the same way that yoda passed away um when his time came to an end so i'm wondering if the rise of skywalker implies that luke is coming back in force form some people wonder if this is going to be the reveal that Rey is his daughter. We don't really know. All I do know is that uh, Rey looks awesome in the trailer. Mm-hmm. She looks like she's ready to bust stuff up. Yeah. And we got Lando flying the Millennium Falcon. And as much as I love Han Solo, when Billy D. Williams showed up on that screen, I literally squeed out loud. I thought of you when I saw the trailer um, because there's that one point where, you know, like you said, Ray is just looking like a beast. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if a pod racer just. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that that's what came through your mind. (laughs) But I'm really excited for that one. I think the movie looks great. And I think that this is going to be the last of the Star Wars movies for a long time. I think they're going to let it rest for a while. Because I think, you know, they, they've basically said that this is the end of this saga. So I think they're going to take some time before they do another trilogy. I don't think that the Star Wars universe will ever be complete. I think that's well known at this point. I think they're going to change their focus to doing a lot for Disney+. Plus sure. While they take time to develop characters that are endearing, stories that are interesting. Um Regardless, let's let it breathe for a while. Let's right. not get sick of it. Let's not beat it to death. 
Yeah, and I don't Let's think enjoy the opening of Galaxy's Edge and and let that be it for a while. Yeah, I don't think we need a Boba Fett movie. Uh, you know, I I liked Solo. I know a lot of people did, and I know a lot of people didn't. But it seems like those origin stories are basically on hold anyway. Unless it's Jar Jar Binks. Oh, uh, would you just stop? Oh my God! Let's have that prequel. No, let's not. I don't want to live in the universe where Jar Jar Binks exists, but unfortunately, I don't have the time stone, so I can't change that. This is the reality that I live in. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the time stone a lot next week, obviously. Age of Ultron today, we're really excited. Next week, when you guys tune in, we have Jimmy and Frank from the Dopey Dudes coming on, and they love Infinity War, and they are... Such Marvel heads that I'm so excited to get their perspective on that move on that movie as well. Yes, yeah, same. I bet they have a lot of insights into things that we didn't even realize were going on. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this week. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're interested to hear what you have to say about Scar and about the Star Wars trailer about how you feel about Disney Plus. Are you going to pay for it? Or are you going to sit it out? What do you think is going to happen? We want to hear from you. Get at us at our social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio. If you want to join us on the Monoreal, on the Monoreal Pub Crawl, or you want to do a Monoreal Pub Crawl of your own, get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. For Pat and Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.